What were those pain points? You know, what were the normal things you're pulling from the jobs to be done framework? Which pieces should we have talked about? Why did I bring that up then and there? And that's where the application gets really powerful because it's that found knowledge feels like it's their experience, even though it's somebody else's. We've sped it up and now we're showing them like, oh, and you'll see the customer's light bulbs go off. Damn, that's exactly what I would want to happen there. And now they're having aha moments about how great the product is as a seller. And that's really where you have to get to. That's the advocacy piece I'm talking about. I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning culture podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. Learning culture podcast. Teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Learning Culture Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Barry, and this is a show about creating cultures of continuous learning inside companies. And joining me this week is Sean Adams. Sean is the head of sales and partnerships at IRAD, which is a platform that helps you create tutorials in lightning quick time. Beyond that day job, Sean is a big part of the enablement and sales community on LinkedIn, where he shares a lot of knowledge about that process. And I finally got a chance to sit down with him to unpack in a live conversation a lot of that knowledge, and he did not disappoint. Today, you're going to learn about the mental friction that often holds back a sale and why a seller struggles to overcome that because of business acumen or a lack of business acumen. Selling in Sean's view of the world is about understanding circumstances, not features. And for people who don't do the job of their customers, who've never been in that industry or that function or that role, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. So the way Sean approaches that with his team at IRAD is to look at the jobs to be done framework, which was brought into this world by Clayton Christensen and has been used in a lot of different places. So this was a really cool way to unpack its application to the sales process. So in this conversation, you're going to learn about customer insight interviews and how to use those to develop personas in a way that really creates the day in the life of a customer. You're going to learn how to turn that into a program that you can use to inspire and educate sellers. And you're going to learn how to structure discovery to tease out those personas and jobs to be done workflows. And finally, learn why customer or product advocacy is missing from today's sales culture and how the jobs to be done framework and everything that goes with it can actually fill that gap. This was a great episode packed with stories and really tactical, practical advice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my episode with Sean Adams. Sean, welcome to the show. Andrew, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm excited for this. So this is a topic I, I love talking about. Um, we're going we're gonna to get into the, the, the nitty gritty of it in a second. Folks can probably tell from the, the, the title of what we're going to be talking about. But why don't we start kind of from your perspective, like an experience that you've had. You were t- telling me offline, like before we started rolling, that you are a SaaS seller by background, right? Do you understand this, this arena really well? What was the problem? What was the issue that you saw that we're going to be talking about the solution for today? 
Yeah, I think a story is a great way to frame this up. So backing up very, very slightly here, first about 10 years of my career, actually owned a small business in the B2C space. It was a construction and home services company, did some work in some real estate as well. So working direct with homeowners. Had a position to actually sell that company and move into doing some consulting work that eventually rolled into setting up SaaS solutions and ultimately working as an account executive selling SaaS back to home service companies that I used to be. So I was actually mm. responsible for the narrative of how to talk about who I used to be to who I used to be, right? Mm. And that was one of the main drivers of, of early success for me. So in this example, kind of where I was working, we were selling a CRM ERP solution. So it would do scheduling and some light bookkeeping and allow them to do estimates and all this in this platform that we were selling. And through this lens of jobs to be done, one of these things happened. And of course, at the time, I thought I was like coming into something revolutionary. Here, it's a very common process that many people mm. do. And it's like, duh, you idiot. You didn't come up with this. You just like fell into this naturally. And it was the idea of people don't wake up and go, yeah, I need a CRM today, right? It's, mm. it's, it's the person in the truck who's moving the chainsaw or moving some materials around who like has other problems going on and they're trying mm. to solve the solution. So one of the things we'd find is we get into a demo with a customer and they'd be like, yeah, I really love this. Like, I love that I can organize my whole business. I've got insights and sort of the single pane of glass for everything but it's going to take me some while. I'm not going to be able to onboard this because of my accounting system. I'm using QuickBooks mm. right now. Connecting that's going to be a nightmare, right? And we're mm. like, oh, well, we have an integration. They're like, okay, yeah, but it's all messy. And I got to connect all these pieces and I have to have perfect accounting. We're like, okay. And I would see time and time again for the first like six months, deals would just not progress because of this QuickBooks issue. I'm like, mm. it's kind of insane that we're just letting this external force drive our deals or like derail these deals. And I realized it really wasn't that they just like had an issue with our platform or accounting. It was just like the mental lift of them going in and finding or getting their accountant to help them navigate these two systems together was mm -hmm. really overwhelming. And their accountants were typically not well equipped with this. So yeah. one of the things I tried to do, because I was tired of losing deals, I just went out and started building partnerships with accounting services and people who specialized in QuickBooks, basically like migrations and could connect these tools. And what I found is we would unpack it that that was the real issue. It wasn't even like the overwhelm of price or competitors or like these other ancillary things that they would tell us on the surface. It was really that they, the job to be done in their world was like, at the end of the day, they have to reconcile their books and it's a pain in the butt to mm. do. And their systems were not talking to each other. And like, that was actually the main driver. And so by us finding these partnerships, we didn't really drive any revenue from this, but the, the QuickBooks specialist was connecting the dots, cleaning this up and putting the customer's mind at ease that this was a solution that was actually paramount to all the other things. It was the foundation that the rest of the system could be built on. So it was like, not until we actually unpacked that. And I thought back on my previous role to realize that like that was the pain. It was really the accounting mm. system that was driving the decisions for like scheduling and like all these other pieces that are business. And you wouldn't know that unless you took the time to read between the lines, think about what it's like to sit in the driver's seat of that customer and what mm. their day looks like. And mm. that's just an example of like obstacle removal and where I see like a lot of sellers are just taking things at face value. They're not under unpacking the business case or the job to be done of their particular champion or buyer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great story, and it it reminds me of a lot of my my own experiences. There's almost like this mental friction that I sometimes feel that as well, right? It's like it's 
the actual doing of the thing is probably not that hard, but it's like the idea of wrapping your head around it is, is what's holding people back. And, and you, because you were in the shoes of that person, like that was intuitive to you. Like you were able to like diagnose that really quickly, which is obviously, you know, is not always the case, right? In most cases not. And I think what you're pointing at is this jobs to be done framework is a way to, to, to help with that. Before we get into the framework itself, like why, why is this deep understanding of the customer's day-to-day and, and this like going beyond the assumption, you know, to like really understand why is that missing from today's you know, sales culture? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a, been a mad dash into tech sales, especially since COVID, but before that as well, where it's seen as like an ideal career. I can work from home. There's upward mobility. There's just a huge revenue potential or earnings potential. And people flocked to this like uh, get rich quick type of methodology. Yeah. Like I could be selling cars or I could sell SaaS in my underwear and make just as much money or a lot more, you know? <laughs> right. So like we had a lot of people kind of, in my opinion, get in for the wrong reasons. Mm. And there's been, in, in my opinion, a big gap in solution advocacy and customer advocacy, like truly understanding or being a uh, evangelist or advocate for the product and solution and like market. Like there's so mm. few subject matter experts that go into selling. They typically yeah. um, are just like, they move from another department or another industry and then just move right back into sales. And they don't have this like depth of business acumen. And so mm -hmm. they try to get in with high level C-suites and they're not being able to speak the language of them because they're pulling down like things that were mandates from their sales enablement leader or their VP of sales, or just like some marketing doc that was like, yeah. you know, market insights. And it's not at any depth. And so they're not, they don't, there's no experience. There's no like visceral or tactical experience in the field. Granted, mm. it's not scalable to get all your sellers to be able to like spend a couple of years in the customer's shoes. Like that's not practical, but yeah. there are many ways that we can simulate and unpack and pull those things out. Some of which we'll cover today mm. to get them to, to emotionally feel what our customers are going through yeah. and not like the very yeah. logical bulleted, this is a, a pain's point. Please listen for XYZ terminology. Like it's not yeah. as robotic as that. I think there's an emotional piece that because they haven't spent that and had these experiences, um, it, they're not able to speak to it at that level. And you can tell when someone is regurgitating something that they memorized versus something yeah. that's just guttural and you can feel it. Yeah, 100%. So, so let me like frame it a little bit for the audience here. So the, the learning culture podcast here, what I'm fascinated in is takes like this that have, you have an answer, you have a solution, right? You've, I, you've identified a problem, which I haven't heard articulated that in that way before, which is cool as well. I love that kind of fresh take of, you know, people getting into it for the wrong reasons. And then they've got this like book knowledge basically. And then they go and it's very surface level and they're going to very quickly get caught out because the world is a fucking ambiguous and ever-changing place. Right? And it's like that book is, is outdated the moment they finish reading it. So, but you, you're going to come to, to us now with, with a solution for this, one that's worked for you. And you mentioned it a couple of times, the jobs to be done framework. So tell us a little bit more about that at a, at a high level. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of very, very smart people who've come up with this concept and coined it. There's some really great uh, literature. We can we can send some links in the in the show notes about those things. But the concept is really how can I do, for lack of a better term, studies or unpacking of my customer and how the maybe end user or buyer 
is going through their day to accomplish the things that they get measured and paid on. And to just mm -hmm. really understand like their world through their lens, the things that make or break them, you know, the keep you up at night type of thing is what it gets, it gets coined as, but it's much more about like, what is their manager looking at on a weekly basis and going, you missed this metric. What is the thing that they might get fired over or promoted over? What mm. are those activities? What are those just overall themes that they are just dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis? What are the motions and processes that are experiencing? Right? Mm. Because when you understand those things, like if you look at CEOs that, that are founders of SaaS products or any product for the most part, they are often, not all the time, often end users scratching their own itch from the beginning. And they move really quick, quickly to market their item because they understand that problem super deeply because they were their customer. This is the yeah. case at IORED where I work. And this is why it's so powerful. And so mm. what we'll talk about is a little bit of a framework around the insights that we can extract and kind of how to run those. But mm. the idea is just that, is how do we basically act like we're doing an absolute case study on a customer or a persona yeah. in this role and understand everything that goes into a day in their life, the functions, mm. the processes, the systems that they would go in. Yeah. So that you can put yourselves in their shoes in an emotional feeling based way, like you said earlier, which is, which is so much more impactful. And honestly, just that's like, that's the, that's all that really matters uh, other than uh, as opposed to that um, intellectual way. Are you familiar with the milkshake story? Clayton Christensen. Yeah. Do you, do you want to recount that? Cause I think if anybody who hasn't, that might be worth just unpacking that a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I heard it. Uh, but the, we can do it to, together as well. Yeah. So you go ahead and I'll fill in like parts that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it was, uh, it was a McDonald's kind of use case and they were trying to do basically some market studies to understand who would be a buyer of milkshakes or, or whatever these product lines were. And they were so, trying so to understand. It was breakfast food. So it was their breakfast food was down. Yeah. And they had like, they had breakfast sandwiches, they had healthy options like, you know, bananas and whatever. And like, and, and nothing was, you know, their sales were down. And yeah, so they were trying to figure out like what, yeah, sorry, you, so you pick, you go for it. No, and I'll just fill in the, the, the uh, little bit that I remember, but they were trying to understand like, who are those people that are picking the, from these alternatives and why would they be picking those things? Yeah. And from what I remember, there were friction involved in like, I didn't want to buy an entire sandwich because of like physically having to hold it while I'm driving the car. And, and like, that was the key. Exactly. And that was the key. I think it was, it may have even been a drive through situation. And they were like, right. And I think that was it. It was like, oh, I can't hold the sandwich in, in my hand. And it's like, you know, grease is going everywhere. And on the other end, like the banana healthy option thing was like not enough. It wasn't filling. Like it was, so it wasn't, it still wasn't, it wasn't doing the job. Right. Exactly. And so what did they, what did they realize? Yeah. So they started seeing that the, the take was, was the, the milkshake or the, the additional delivery mechanism for lack of a better word, which was this product yeah. that was being sort of prioritized. And it was, it was more of like understanding human conditioning and like path of least resistance, things yeah. that fit that job, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a very simple, like consumer example. There are a million of these throughout every day-to-day -day function in the consumer world and even more in the, in the business functions. But it's really that understanding of the alternatives and why a buyer or a group might make a decision based on the day-to-day the -day actions they go through, their activities. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it was like, in that case, it was that the people were coming to buy breakfast food before 
they want it to be filling and nutritious and all that, but they also needed it to be convenient. So they could like put it in their lap. So they cup holder. And, and so it was like, they eventually then figured that out and they, they did a, you know, a product, product mix, uh, reshake. Yeah. And the milkshakes killed it. So, yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about how to apply this. Cause I think that's like the, the next step here is like, you call it the sort of the day in the life of a customer. Like where do we start with all of this? Yeah. So the first step that we've done, and again, this is just our strategy for executing this in our business based on our product suite. But what we did is we looked through our database for uh, our successful customers, those that hit certain metrics in terms of usage of our product, those that were embedding them in multiple locations, um, building tutorials on our tool and, and uh, checking the, the kind of usage boxes that we were looking for. And then we simply would do a cadence in which we'd reach out to these accounts. And this seems overly simplistic, but so few organizations actually do this. And we would have, instead of like a testimonial video or trying to like extract everything from this one-sided approach, we'd say like, we're just trying to understand the market and like what an instructional designer does. Like I had never heard the term instructional designer before I got into a company that works in L&D. I didn't know what the mm. hell that was. Mm. So I'm like, could use context clues to figure that out, make a bunch of assumptions that probably would offend a bunch of people, or I could ask people who are literally happy using <laughs> our tool and have that title, right? Yeah. That's just one example. Yeah. What we do is we'd set up these interviews and they were, they would be a little bit in the beginning favored towards like our product and like why they chose it. But moreover, we spent the majority of the rest of the time unpacking their day. And so we would have a framework in this customer insights call and we'd say things like, Talk to me about how you solve this solution now or how you execute content creation before you worked with us. Like not yeah. only just to pitch our product, but help me understand what that looked like. Well, yeah. I'd use these three tools and I'd duct tape it over here and I have to put it over there. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And who else from your organization was involved? Like what was the process after you created something? Well, I'd have to involve this team and they'd have to audit it and have to clean this up. And then what were the, like, what happens then? Like, what were the things they come back with? Well, they would mention that this was short and that wouldn't work. And we have to, all these breakdowns of communication. And then it was, okay, well, so you get it polished and then what happens? And you're basically sitting there going, and then what? And then what? And then what? A hundred times to just understand that full flow. You start at eight o'clock in the morning, walk me through exactly what's happening. You have a project where your, your manager is saying you have to execute this and you're unpacking each and every function of their day until you can almost recite it. Obviously, these are recorded sessions. We're doing 10, 20, 30 of these. We're starting to hear common threads about how they're using the tool. And that's great and super helpful for us in our products. But it's the nuances of the in-between connective tissue of their processes for us that was absolute gold. Like we mm. would, we actually found out and it helped us pivot our entire strategy that they would come in, build learning content and it would sit and they didn't know what to do with it. And they would link and they would uh, take pictures of it or they put it in a folder and it was really clunky. And we realized mm. that like integrating into their learning management system, their sales enablement tools, that was actually what was most valuable. They mm. did not know to ask that. But we could see the data and through the stories that it was actually like a really valuable thing they needed. And we could position that as a strategy. We never would have been able to figure that out if we just were in a dark room making assumptions about the market. Mm -hmm. We had to hear from them, make assumptions, and then test with them and say, hey, I'm hearing this. Would it be helpful if we could make an integration so you could click a button and put what you built into your LMS? Like, would that mm -hmm. be valuable? Oh, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. I never thought that that was an option. 
And so that's how you can really start to unpack those things, realize like what the process breakdowns are, where you can help or where you can involve a partner or where you can make suggestions. And that's like where the gold is. And that's the first part of this. It's, it's basically an extraction journey of just pulling their story and their day-to-day mm. -day process out. And is that happening in, like, are you going to existing customers to do that? Is it who's running this or are you doing it on live prospects? Like, you know, on what's in that whole spectrum, where is this happening? Yeah. Our start was always with, with happy customers. Mm -hmm. So these are people that have been using it for a fair amount of time. They've hit certain metrics, like they've used certain elements of the tool, usage data, things like that, where we know that they are actively using us to solve a problem so we could understand like where we're positioned in that workflow in that like set of processes and they're much more candid and willing to share because we've built up trust so like we they know we're not going in trying to sell them something else we're trying to hear what yeah. they're using and improve and we'll say things like we want like the good bad and ugly here like we want to know where mm. we suck in this process mm. not just because we want our product but we understand like Where's our next partnership? Where's the next integration we need to build? What's coming down the pipeline that we need to be aware of that you're thinking about that we aren't? And mm. the happy customers are much more willing because there's not as much of a guard from the sales perspective where prospects know you're doing discovery so you can use their words to like attack them. Like they can feel that sometimes yeah. where the happy customers, it's a little bit of a, a more trusted environment. Yeah, that makes sense. And and is this being run by sellers or is it by like people responsible for enablement? Like who's doing the actual interviews? So on our side, it's it's uh, our management team. It's myself and, and a small group of our managers for our purpose, solely for the sellers. So I have a very small sales team here and they're very green. So mm -hmm. they were coming in. It's basically their first like quota carrying account executive type of role. And it was kind of very scary to me to turn over someone like that to like a corporate executive or someone who's like a decision maker that they can mm. they, they were worried about business acumen and I was worried about them being able to speak the real problems of the customer. So it was like, I need to figure out how to get them to speak that language quickly. I obviously can't make them an instructional designer for two years and then bring them back. We need to speed this process up. And so the first step was like, let's do these customer insight extractions, mm -hmm. then take that data and move on to our next steps, which is kind of refining that. Um, and like assigning that to a persona, which we can kind of cover next. Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. So the persona side is really your next iteration. So you've just like basically unearthed all of these insights about process and flow. You've heard a bunch of terms you've never heard before. It's mm. so like one of the main things is make sense of those terms. Ask them questions. When they mention mm. an acronym, which they almost always do, yeah. ask what that means. Because the shit means different stuff to different people, right? Yeah. Like you can say yeah. CRM. They might not know what the heck that means, or you might not know what that means in their context. And they were, yeah. Super important to have a library. So the first thing we would do, take that raw data, look for terms first, hmm. pull out everything you didn't know what it was, ask them in, in a live session if you could, if you can't hmm. try to follow back up and hmm. then do the research of that. So as a seller, I want to like, or as a manager for my sellers, I want them first to have a terminology library of what all these different things mean for their customer group. Forget product, forget features. I just need them to be able to speak a little bit of the language of the customer to start. And the terminology is the first step. Hmm. Once we extract that piece, then it's all about persona alignment. And so what we'd find is like, for us, we had three groups of personas. We had an L&D manager, a sales enablement manager, or a customer success manager. Mm -hmm. Same process that they use our tool for, which is I have knowledge, someone needs knowledge, I need to get it to them. Mm -hmm. 
but the audience and how they're delivering it and where they're delivering it, totally different. Mm. So for me to make a seller understand that of like, yeah, we're an L&D tool. That's not really fair because it's very nuanced. And if you use L&D terms to a customer success or a sales enablement person, they might not understand. So we would take those and figure out those personas. It might be one for your team. It might be four. I mean, who knows what that looks like? It just happened to be three for us. And we would then build basically an academy to train them on everything that has to do with those roles. So we've extracted this data from these insights. We figured out the terminology. We figured out our bucketed groups of personas. And then if we were lacking in any of those persona groups, we'd try to look at our database to see if we could run any other interviews. Like mm. we heard this three times come up, this title. Mm. Maybe we can do like one or two more interviews and really understand the L&D specialist title. Is it an yeah. instructional designer? Is it whatever? Right. And that persona setting really allowed us to then figure out how we could quickly, because my goal was with, with my reps, I want you, when they book a call with us, I want you in 30 seconds of when that call books for you to be able to pick which of these three groups they fit in closest to. Mm -hmm. And if they can do that, now they can look at the terms. Now they can look at process. Now they can look at some of these other things we've extracted. So mm. terms, persona, and then within those personas, we're building the process flow, like that day in the life. Mm. We're talking about the pain points that they're going to have, how they talk about the things they need to accomplish. We're looking at what they get measured on, right? And we're really thinking about the person. Forget our products. If I'm that person sitting in the chair, again, what am I measured on? What did they say their manager would fire them over? What yeah. did they say they would get promoted over? And then that's the things we're focusing on, right? Mm -hmm. People are in it for themselves. That's just the nature of how these things work. Yeah. And so with this, we're just layering more and more insights into those personas, all from those insights. Yeah. Yeah. So and tell me a little bit more now about how you taking all of this, like the, the, the insights, the personas and using it to educate your, your sales team. What does that look like? Yeah. So it would get built into essentially an academy, L and D LMS, you know, really doesn't matter the end platform per se, much more about hmm. how we're running that through. So what we do is we'd spend typically the first like one to two weeks of their onboarding specifically guided towards that persona training, understanding that day in the life, going through that. So we're building courses essentially mm -hmm. on that role and who that person is and what it like, what it's like to go through that. And, and a key piece that, that's actually been pretty helpful after the fact is we would try to partner or learn from associations. So for example, like an instructional design uh association, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We would try to go in objectively and say, listen, we're selling to this. I have nothing to offer you. You have nothing to offer us. I'm trying to just learn more about this. Like, is there some, a low cost option that I can like buy a course, mm -hmm. sit in on a conference, do webinars. There's so much free information, right? A podcast like this, it's endless yeah. sales yeah. enablement gold, right? Yeah. This is my market. And we're trying to take those things and place our seller in that short period. If it's a couple of weeks, a couple of days, whatever we can get to get them really bought into this like idea of that persona and all of those things. So it's what we heard from customers, what the market or like the, the, the position looks like, what open mm. job roles look like, those sort of things. Mm. And that's all in this course material. It's for the most part, self-sourced, self-serve content. And then what we try to do is pair that with recorded calls and scenarios. So yeah. maybe we'll link back to the call that we did initially that closed that insight, right? So the person that's now a happy customer, mm -hmm. can we go all the way back to the beginning of when we demoed them initially? Mm -hmm. And then we oh, yeah. go through that call together from a rep manager perspective 
and go through each piece. Here's what discovery looked like. Mm. Mm. And see if we can figure out one where like me or whoever sold it messed up and missed yeah. things. Yeah. And then how we can look at the end and work backwards to figure out how we can have sped the process up yeah. or been more intentional. And so it's like self-serve from the customer's voice. Now we're seeing like pre-recorded examples and then we're just progressing them through that knowledge journey. But it's just so immersive in the customer they're yeah. like, they can't help, but by the time they get to the product training, they're like, oh, no shit. You got to, obviously this is what they need, right? Yeah, yeah. You start to hear these like, duh, like obvious connections yeah. because we just spent so much time making them a customer, um, like expert. Expert. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love this. So the thing I want to make clear for people as well is what's happening here is you're not, you're not filling people's heads up. Like it's a tank with, with knowledge, right. About like the buyer and the products and stuff, you, you're helping them construct their own mental model of what it's like to be that customer, right? So that they can, and, and it's like, you think of it like Elon Musk has famously said, like knowledge is like a, it's like a tree, you know? So you've got to like know the roots and the trunk before you can start talking about the branches and the leaves. And your, you know, the, the training that you're talking about is kind of the roots and the trunk, right? Of giving them that and then all that that experience of looking back over calls and and then ultimately going out there and doing it in a call in a discovery call and stuff is 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 adding those branches and leaves and so so and each you have like anybody listening has to think of each seller each person in the team has to create their own mental model of what of what this is right and that's ultimately you can't do that for them you have to just create the conditions and enable them um, so, so how is it now showing up in discovery calls? Like, what is that, you know, when the rubber meets the road, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, our main goal, if I'm, if I'm zooming out, is like, we're trying to manufacture experience for that rep in this mm -hmm. persona, which we can't really make them do, but we're going to try our damnedest to like, get it as close as possible. Right. Yep. And so as we're growing through that roots analogy, that foundation, they're now understanding these problems so deeply, they feel like they can kind of talk about them. And now as we're applying scenarios, they're able to pull off of this found experience. Like when you start to hear things enough, it then becomes like, maybe that's reality. Like maybe that's, yeah. I, I've changed my perspective on how that thing works, right? Mm -hmm. It's this cumulative effort. It's it, like you said, it's not just a tank we're dumping more knowledge into, but it's this progression. And it's process. very, it's very, yeah. The process of that is very yeah. intentional. Yeah. So that the, the thing that they really solidified in is the customer problem, right? So mm -hmm. then when we have these calls and we're unpacking the dis discovery component, and then we're going, okay, well, now we're going to go through product training, right? And this product training is going to be through the lens of everything we just covered. So like the reason why we built the product in this way is from what we talked about in week one, right? Where this was the pain point they were having. We built this functionality because it came from a customer demand. They mentioned that this was a pain point. This, you saw how their process is typically pretty broken manually. And we built this feature to streamline this thing. And it's like, okay, instead of the opposite, which is normally what happens. Here's this software. What do you think of it? And now what use cases would you use? Mm -hmm. That's how most demos go. Here's a bunch of nonsense. You go through it and then tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Why mm -hmm. are you making the rep or the user experience mm -hmm. the tool and figure out how to apply it? Right? Yeah, exactly. Let the rep understand the world and then it'll be a no brainer experience as to why that button is sitting right there in mm -hmm. the place that it is. Mm -hmm. It also strengthens your product because it makes sure that you're thinking through things in very linear mm -hmm. workflow jobs to be done fashions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the approach of, of how we're coming into the, the product training where we're saying, 
Now, when you're getting in front of a customer, as we progress through this onboarding and training, you're now really just telling their story through the lens of other customers that have been successful. The product happens to be part of that journey. And we're talking about what we are pretty positive you are the persona of. Therefore, we can make some assumptions about what your problems are. And we're showing the product is just that kind of like guide through, but we're really trying to make you shine. Yeah. And so our discovery is unpacking to crystallize that we know your persona um, and that problem therein. And then we're just going to showcase that found rooted knowledge that we have. And the product is just the solution to that. And mm. it starts to come a little more naturally. And that every single one of those test calls or shadow calls that we do, we're doing a five minute or 10 minute recap. And I'm saying, mm. where did you notice their persona was? Mm. Did anything change as you got more information from them? What were those pain points? You know, What were the normal things you're pulling from the jobs to be done framework? Which pieces should we have talked about? Why did I bring that up then and there? You know, mm -hmm. these sort of things are applied knowledge now in yeah. real life scenarios. And they're hearing someone who's done it more than once talk through those things like it's second nature. Mm -hmm. And that's where the application gets really powerful because it's that found knowledge feels like it's their experience, even though it's somebody else's. We've sped it up and now we're showing them like, oh, and you'll see the customer's light bulbs go off. Damn, mm -hmm. that's exactly what I would want to happen there. Yeah. And now they're having aha moments about how great the product is as a seller. And that's really where you have to get to. That's the advocacy piece I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So as someone who practices this, and, and I'm sure you probably still do a lot of calls and you're kind of like, you know, there, what advice do you have for that application and implementation of this? Like if you had to step back and talk to yourself five years ago, you know, what, what advice would you give? The number one piece would be call coaching uh, looking backward at the calls themselves and just dissecting the hell out of them. I think there's no better thing than confronting how crappy of a job you did on something. Like when you're like, man, God, I really rambled over here. Or like, that was actually not super clear. Or you could kind yeah. of see the customer lost interest over here. And you know, when they're on video specifically, you can start to, cause you're not, you're looking at your screen. You're not always looking at them in the eye. And when you're looking at the whole picture, you can be like, Dude, yeah, they're like mm. elsewhere when you're yeah, talking about this. They were you lost that. <laughs> right. So that like right. evaluation, it, it's a big piece because then you can go, and I would do, I do this with our reps every week, like where I'm, I'm sitting down and we're going, okay, so it was great. Here, here are the pieces that, that really went well. And then we're going to go through that call together and we're going to pull out the pieces. So right here, you missed that they mentioned X. That was actually probably the most important part. You jumped into pricing they don't actually care about the price because they're not the decision maker. They actually cared about X, Y, and Z. And if we just went there, we probably could have set up that second meeting with the decision maker and avoided that uncomfortable silence that we grabbed here, right? And it's like that post-game analysis mm. that's vital. So I would have spent more time looking through my old recordings as, as, as an individual contributor and also asking for, for maybe the... like yeah. I've never had the management staff who would have helped us go through it in this way. But it's like you put the year of pain in training that rep in this intentional way, and like uh, the dividends are insane, right? Because like they're such they're they're doing three yeah. years worth of sales training with really good behaviors, even though it's super manual and super painful while you're going through it onboarding a rep. Like it's just invaluable for them and hopefully the organization because they're going to be so much more successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. And it, it's difficult to do because it, so, there could be vulnerability there of seeing, 
you know, the stuff that you messed up on. There could be like, oh, I just don't have time for this. This is tedious. Um, but what you're doing is you're making explicit those things that you did wrong. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you, I, if you know what you're doing and you, you kind of so, somewhat committed to this job, whatever, all you need to do is that have that done once, you know, have that made explicit once. And you're like, shit, I'll never do that again. You know what I mean? So that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, if I can add one point to that too, because the time argument, it's everybody's argument, right? Totally get it. I'm strapped. Mm. I say yes to too many things. We all do this, right? Here's my argument. If that same account was a churn risk, you as the manager would drop everything you needed to do to figure out how to make them stay. You would drop back in, you'd check over your deals, you would do check-in calls. You'd cancel all your plans to make sure that that account didn't churn. But you won't do a little bit of proactivity on the front end on a weekly basis to make sure that the rep is getting to that level where this account is successful and moving forward, you know, in, in mm -hmm. a healthy way. All right. So we're always willing to retroactively quick fire and fix a, a problem. But in, in a proactivity, we don't ever want to like understand that we might be able to prevent that problem if we just do it proactively. So easy mm -hmm. thing to verbalize, harder to execute. But that's always what I try to tell myself is like time spent in the beginning catching small problems is going to just be well worth it for the retroactive, you know, firefighting I have to do later. 100%. So Sean, this has been a masterclass uh, as always, as, as I knew it would be coming into this. Let, let's, let's bring things to a close here by taking it back to the beginning. And this, this, the sense of, you know, there's not a lot of, not, not all companies clearly are doing this. So if you had to say as like a parting piece of advice for, for someone who's responsible for the enablement of, of a bunch of sellers, even for any sales leaders that are listening, um, why does this matter? Why should they care about everything we've just been talking about? Yeah, I mean, the number one advice on that side would just be talk to your customers. I mean, I know it seems really straightforward and really obvious, but just so few people actually do it. They will tell you everything they need to know about why you weren't a fit, why you are a great fit, why they might leave you, right? We're in a very tight economic climate where churn risks are a mm. daily problem, where expansion revenue is getting cut. You know, the best way to understand those things is ask your customers, understand how they're operating. If you can actually be able to be proactive during these cases, not just the CSM or the account manager who has a quarterly check-in, that's obvious, that's table stakes. I'm talking about proactive. We are trying to understand how your business works and how we can help. And here's how we're willing to come to the table. Can we have an open discussion? You don't need a sugarcoat. We truly want to learn, right? Mm. That is invaluable across the organization, pre-sales, post-sales, management decisions. I mean, it's, it's kind of endless. And I just, I can't stress enough the value that that's pulled in in helping us strengthen our network, get introductions, inform our product decisions. I mean, just almost every department in the company has benefited from that ability to really understand them at that deep level. Hmm. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this deep experience. Like this, this was, uh, it was so detailed that this is, it's impossible to, to not, to not realize that you, you know, you, you've been living, you live with us on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, it's really cool to hear that. So, we're going to put your um, link in for LinkedIn and, and for obviously for IRAD's website on 
uh, the show notes. Anybody listening should check that out. Get in touch with Sean. Ask him how to create tutorials at lightning speed, how to, to run the jobs to be done framework, um, all those kind of good things. He's super active on LinkedIn and, and a great advocate for, for the whole community. Sean, thank you so much for coming to share your experience with us. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I love your content. You do amazing things for the L&D and, and sales enabled community. So please keep it up. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listened. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.